Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. So today on The Protagonistas, we have a special Awelita Faith episode as I am chatting with my very first guest. How exciting yeah. is hey, that? I'm so glad you invited me back. You know, sometimes I don't get invited back into places. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are 100% welcome here. Um, so I have Ines Velasquez McBride, and we are going to talk about a little bit about Awelita theology and um, because you were my first guest, it's funny because back then when I, I mean, this was like, what, four years ago, I, um, so. I still hadn't really thought about this as a book. I think I was just dreaming about it maybe, or just, I, I'm sure I had thought about it, but it wasn't anything official. Um, yeah. And you were one of the first people, like first handful of people that I sort of was like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And, um, and I remember we talked a lot about it, like in class and, you know, in sermons that we had a homiletics class together and anyway, all of that. So I just love that you are back and you are here on the protagonistas and I am just so, so, so thrilled to have you and thank you for being here. I am so happy to be here. And I love that you say it. You didn't know that it was going to be a book one day, but that's how dreams happen. And dreams mm-hmm. are communal and dreams are conversational and dreams, you know, others pull out the dreams out of us as we're conversing together. We're creating and cosiendo together. So mm-hmm. it's such an honor to know that, you know, even in those conversaciones, we were, um, the spirit was cosiendo something in and oh, through you. Yes. Oh man, I've missed talking to you, Ines. Oh, I miss <laughs> talking to you, Kat. Let's go take a class right now just to sit together for three oh. hours a week. <laughs> no, you speak and I'm just like, mm, yes. <laughs> amen, amen. Amen, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, so um, I know that, again, you obviously were my first guest, so I know that you've shared mm. a little bit of your spiritual background, but this was yeah. many years ago. And so yeah. if you want to share a little bit about your spiritual background for those who may have not heard the first episode that you were in, and also, what have you been up to since? I know a lot has changed. So what yes. have you been up to since we last spoke? Yes. Thank you so much for asking, Kat. Of course, I don't remember what I even shared in that first podcast about myself. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for bringing back the context of our background because we aren't from nowhere. We are from somewhere. And so I am Nicaraguan. Uh, technically, I'm half Spanish and half Nicaraguan. My mother was Spanish. My father is Nicaraguan. Grew up in the soil of Nicaragua all the way up to college. And so that is the soil that nourishes my faith spiritually. My father um, was a Protestant evangelical pastor. I am a third generation pastor. So my grandfather was a pastor. My father is a pastor and I'm third generation pastor, but first pastora, first female pastor, right? Um, My mother was Spanish and Roman Catholic. And so I lived in the in-between world, of uh, having a foot here and a foot there and learning what it meant to navigate those two very different worlds that had things in common and often did not have things in common. And uh, in that world, um, my grandmother was a central figure, a pillar. My mother died when I was 11 years old in an airplane accident. And so like many, many, uh, like happens often in Latin America, 
the community raises the children together, right? And so when mm-hmm. my mother died a few months later, my grandmother, mi abuelita, came to live with us. My father was undergoing a deep depression during that time. And so mi abuelita came into our home to be, into our house to create a home. Mm. And that is where my abuelita theology, I can, I can point it to that. Right. That started a conversation of faith with her. She started teaching me how to read the Bible and how to pray mm. and um, how to be and how to cook rice. And so Todo eso, the ordinary things and also the extraordinary, the supernatural things, I inherited that faith from mi, mi abuelita. So even though she didn't have a title of pastor and my mm. father is a pastor, if you ask my father today, who was one of the greatest influence, he'll say my mother. Mm. So las abuelitas, las tías, las mujeres, they were raising up the faith of our churches in Nicaragua. And I was the beneficiary of, of that. And so... I like to, I just, I love that you invited me to tell her story. I love Mm -hmm. that you pull her name out of anonymity and invited her into the Comunidad de Mujeres in the Abuelita Faith book that you wrote. Uh, I love the hospitality of that. You could have just written a book all about you, y tu mamá, y tu abuelita, but you invited la comunidad, right? Mm -hmm. The great cloud of witnesses uh, in Las Testigos. So, my faith is very much nourished by my father, of course, my mother. Pero mi abuelita had a central place there during a time that I needed her. I knew that God was with me during that time mm. of great pain porque mi abuelita was with me. Mm. That's, That's how I knew the presence of God. So for me, the Holy Spirit is la abuelita of the Trinity. Yes. <laughs> Just made that up. But you know, la abuelita <laughs> of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, the, yeah. co- the one that comes alongside to comfort, to nourish, to encourage, mm. to teach, to remind you who you are and where you're going. Mm. And so um, that that's a little bit of my spiritual background. So since the last time we spoke, uh, well, you and I were in seminary. I graduated with a master's of divinity, um, the first in my familia de Nicaragua to go to a graduate school and much mm. less a theological school. Right. Um, so I graduated. It was wonderful to have my father attend that ceremony commencement mm. at Fuller Theological Seminary. I immediately jumped into becoming a seminary chaplain. I did that for two years and I just finished that tenure time at Fuller. And so I've been providing pastoral care to students and staff and faculty at Fuller Seminary. And that's simply just providing pastoral care in an academic context, in a non-church yeah. context. But my Pastora Hart was right there leading yeah. that, leading that, just being a conversation partner with people coming alongside their stories and encouraging, comforting, challenging at times as needed. Um, and in the midst of that, I've been planting a church. Mm. So we planted, uh, we are at an early church plant. We started meeting in January of 2020 as a house church. Our church is called The Church We Hope For. I am planting this church with my co-pastor and friend, Yermano. Bobby Harrison and January 2020 was right before the pandemic hit. And so we have been given so many challenges like the rest of the world, but as an early church plant, birthing a church in the midst of a pandemic felt like giving birth to triplets on a roller coaster that was on fire. (laughs) And so it has been a hard season, uh, but the spirit has been surprising us at how, um, nothing went as planned, mm-hmm. but everything uh, that has been happening has been led by the spirit because there's certainly no handbook 
to right. birth this church during this time. Yeah. Right. Wow. That is so, such a journey. I'm so happy that you, you know, that's, as you were saying earlier, that um, dreams are birthed in comunidad and in conversation. Um, I remember talking to you about your dream of planning a yes. church. And it's just so beautiful to see that dream you know, just realized um, and see you just stepping into that space that is so clearly meant to be a space that you are in. And so I'm yes. so happy for you and for your church community. And yeah, I mean, those of you who are looking for a church community, I know right now you're still online, right? So if you want right. to plug in um, the church we hope for, and I'll put links to that and all that on the show notes. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I wanted to follow up with two things that you said that I really mm -hmm. loved. Mm -hmm. The first is um, you talked about how the soil that nourished you, right? You talked about growing up in Nicaragua and how that was the soil that nourished you. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and the idea, you know, because that is something that I talk about in Awalita Faith and how the land lives within us, right? How yeah. we can be separated from our land and it's still, it's, it's still a part of us. It's still in our DNA, you know, and I, I kind of... Yeah connect that back to how, how God said in the garden, you know, how you are, or maybe not in the garden, but how it says in scripture, how you are from dust to dust, you will return and how we were created from dust and how the soil that nourished us is part of us. Can you just expand a little bit on that and what that means to you? Yes. Thank you so much for asking that. I met with uh, some of our Latinas this week from our church and we've been, uh, we're planning uh, some wonderful things that are coming up and we've been talking actually about the garden. So it's not, it was not a mistake that you said garden. We've been thinking about the role of uh, uh, or the ordinary, ordinary moments of the resurrection are very ordinary, like dirt and soil and water and gardens. And we've been studying the gospel of John. My co-pastor and I have been praying from uh, not praying, preaching from John. And we have noticed a lot of gardens where Jesus engaged and met and ate and dreamed and spoke things and preached. He was very centered. Even the day that he was um, arrested, that day, it, that moment happened in a garden. So we've been talking about mm. what does it mean to be grounded and in what garden and in what soil and what are the soils that nourish our raices. So as a woman, as a Latina, as a Nicaragüense, mujer, pastora, to know that mis raices están en Nicaragua is mm. important to know um, where I have come from, to know where I am going. It's an ancient present faith. So mm. If we have been fragmented by white male nationalistic supremacy, un remedio is to go back to las raíces, mm. to go back to those soils. Even, even if you or anyone else who is second, third generation or any one of us, we have to go back to where well, we are from somewhere. We came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Abraham came from Ur de los Caldeos, right? And he traveled as a migrant, an Aramean migrant. También nosotras, también nosotros. And so uh, another way to see it is I think about the class that we took together, Kat, we took a preaching class together. Mm -hmm. I think of the pulpit as a place of leadership for me. But at the pulpit, I always stand in two places. Mm -hmm. I stand in the past place and also in the present place. Right. And we as mujeres have to be grounded in that soil. So the soil of Nicaragua, the soil of las mujeres revolucionarias who came before me, the soil of my abuelita, the soil of um, my tia who taught me how to cook rice uh, properly according to her mm -hmm. recipe. Those <laughs> things that have been passed down 
you have to go back to find the, the, the nutrients in that soil, the spiritual nutrients and the cultural nu nutrients must continue nourishing us today. Y el que no sabe, the one who does not know what soil we have come from, we have been birthed from, we feel lost, right? Our right. souls feel a little lost, ni de aquí, ni de allá. And so we can live in those in-between spaces still very grounded. Right. There is hope to be still very grounded, which is what I love about your book that you go back to and you trace back esas raíces. And so mm -hmm. I am very much grounded. Um, I, I Sure, I love the word Latina. It, it describes a part of me, but it's not the fullness of me. So the more we get into the particular, the more right. grounded and nourishing that soil. Nicaragüense, de Managua from the Minas of Bonanza, the more we get particular, the more I see the presence of God uh, just nourishing from that yeah. soil. Yeah, no, I think that that's huge. Um, being very specific about who we are and where we come from. And I try and, you know, pull that out in the book about, you know, just my Cuban American roots, my Miami roots, you know, very, very uh, centered in that space, because there's so much um, that is birthed from that. So I love that. Yes, go back to those soils. I, um, you know, and I love how you phrased it. You're grounded in the past, but also grounded in the present. Um, because mm -hmm. you, I don't think you can really be grounded in the present without also being um, yeah. aware and grounded in the past and our past. And yeah. whether that be your personal past or a historical past, um, our nation's past, you know, whatever that yeah. is. And you, you talked a little bit again about the navigating two worlds. And that's something else that I wanted to bring up, particularly mm -hmm. spiritually, right? Because I know that for me, you know, the same thing, I was raised Roman Catholic, and then I sort of transitioned over to Protestantism. But so much of my book and so much of my life has been a reclaiming of both, right? Like a reclaiming of yes. these Roman Catholic roots, and also my current faith and sort of wrestling with both of these things. Um, because when I did, you know, I say transition over to a more wheat, white evangelical space, I was, you know, I, I started believing that my Roman Catholic roots weren't legitimate, that they, mm -hmm. you know, that my abuelita wasn't saved or, you know, whatever it is. And so, so much of my journey of decolonizing has been a reclaiming of, of my abuelita's faith, right? So can you talk to me a little bit about that, of that straddling two worlds or navigating two worlds yeah. spiritually and how you reclaim both or marry both or, or, you know, how you do that work? Yes, it is. I've, I have centered that in the Galilean, the Mestizo Jesus. And I have also centered uh, that conversation in the women that followed Jesus. There are 10 female named disciples, que son discípulas de Jesús in the Gospels. And they have helped me to navigate that in-betweenness, living in between both worlds, in between two oceans. I always said that the Atlantic Ocean between Spain and Nicaragua was vast and deep. Mm. And to be able to reclaim uh, also meant um, being disillusioned. Mm. but also claiming the things that did give me new imagination and illusion. So being disillusioned with man-made systems, Roman Catholicism um, and, and Protestantism, Latino Protestantism, all of those are man-made institutions, right? We, kn right? we know that being disillusioned with the things that kept me from faith in God, but also being able to extract the things from either, either one of those systems that did draw me to God, mm. And being able to be critical 
of both right. of those systems and go, okay, which are the things that, that I'm going to keep, you know, uh, chew the meat and spit out the bones, because we have to be honest that both right. systems have hurt people, have spiritually abused uh, people and created abusive systems, right? Those are man-made things. So right. in my reclaiming, going, ¿qué está pasando? These are beautiful things from my childhood, but there are there were terrifying things about it as well. Right. Uh, centering back to Jesus, él era mestizo, it says that era de Nazaret, de Galilea, right? From a very specific place. A very uh, Jesus was centered. He was a particular man from a particular place. And that knowledge that the Spirit gives us in the Gospels encourages me in that in-betweenness of going, Jesus era mestizo. Yo soy mestiza. What things that he have to reclaim from right. the institutions that surrounded him, Right. And so las mujeres, pulling las mujeres out, pulling Jesus out, being able to bring out the spiritual roots and the cultural roots to create a new imagination of like, well, what am I going to believe now? Right. You know, I have, my mind has been colonized. My body has, has been colonized. And so I have centered the margins in the middle. And mm. our church, we say this all the time, the middle are our margins. The margins mm -hmm. are our middle. And those margins are central and authoritative. So the voices of the mujeres in the gospels are central and authoritative. I've extracted their names. I've extracted their stories just as much as the 12 male disciples of Jesus. Right. Because Jesus was creating a new imagination. But we know that the majority of the gospel writers might have been men. So even the women that we hear about in the gospels are still through the To, through the lens of a man who's telling us their stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to reclaim, reconstruct those stories to find those in-between women, to find those margins that need to be central and authoritative so that I can reconstruct my own theology, but also that is, that is an embodied movement. Um, white male nationalistic supremacy, especially in Christian institutions and churches, And evangelicalism, evangelicalism in, in North America, but also through missions in Nicaragua and through you know mission, right. missions and all over the world, they have distorted who and I are. They have distorted our identity, deformed our voices, even silenced our voices. So the way to reclaim that back is change the center. Right. Y el centro es Jesús. El centro son las mujeres discípulas. El centro son los hombres discípulos también, but bringing those margins. And so now we're recalibrating. Right. So the locus, the center, the focus of our identity now is a different center. And that takes a long time to go, okay, to the meat, spit out the bones, to the meat, spit out the bones. Mm -hmm. And we do that con las historias de la Biblia, with, uh, with the books that, that women like you are writing listening to other voices that look like us, that sound like us, yeah. looking to looking and listening to ancient voices and also pres present voices, in-between voices, right? Mm -hmm. The ones that can straddle the in-betweenness and we're not afraid of the tension of both, which I love. Anytime that you're posting anything or writing anything about that, you mention it in 10 different ways, Kat. You say like, we, we must be able to hold the tension, the yeah. joys, And the struggles of these man-made systems that have deformed our identity. Pero ahora we're in this reconstruction time right. of our voice, our identity. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's been a place of beginning yeah. for me. Oh yeah. Beginning and in love, the middle. 
Right. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned early in this journey or in this process, allowing yourself to be disillusioned. I think that that is a tension point. You know, that's a point of tension where people don't want to feel disillusionment or they don't know what to do with disillusionment. Um, but I actually posted about this recently, how disillusionment is holy, right? Disillusion mm. can, disillusionment can be holy yes. um, because it's losing an illusion, right? Where When we're that's disillusioned, right. we're losing an illusion we had about God in order to, to mm. experience the, the real thing, right? And I think that what you're naming, you know, where the, where the margins are the center, that is, I think that's where we experience that true vision, that true experience, that true, you know, um, whatever of the true God, you know, Um, the, the, the God that we, that we encounter in scripture, right? Jesus, how we encounter Jesus in scripture. Um, And I think that it has to start with the disillusionment and then moving into this reconstruction space, as you mentioned. I love that. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So I want to ask you, I know that you um, obviously mentioned a little bit about this as you were talking about your abuelita earlier, but what exactly does abuelita theology mean to you? I know you used words like embodiment and you use words, um, you know, you you described it so beautifully, but if you want to talk a little bit in more detail, just in general, theologically, maybe, you know, I know that your abuela played a very specific role in your life, but yeah, what does that mean to you? Or or Mm. what does abuelita theology mean to you? I love that question, Kat. I think Awilita theology for me, theologically, is a vision of shalom. And I'll give you an example that extends from the story that I gave you in chapter six of Cosiendo um, of my Awilita Sara. She, uh, uh, you, you tell the story, and I, you know, uh, you're using my words, my, my, my Awilita story of how she was using coser y cosiendo to create dresses for my aunt who was at the capital. I will say, Oh. I um I, I was going to ask you to share the story, but you can go ahead oh, and share yeah. it right now if you'd like. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Abuelita theology for me means theologically a, a biblical vision of shalom in the very present, very embodied, very real in the reality of our lives, in our current present places. And in your book, in chapter six, Cosiendo and Creating, you invited me to share about my abuelita who lived in the mining town of Bonanza, Nicaragua. So... They uh, were there. My, my grandfather was a pastor and she was a teacher. And she sent uh, my, my tia, my tia Sela and my dad to the capital of Managua, which was by train about, about 10 hours away, 530 kilometers away. And so me, me papa and mi tia, they lived with another tia and cousins. And it was a full house and they were able to get a better education in the capital. And my father went there when he was six years old, like a very young boy. And I I cannot fathom right now to send my child, even now at 11, anywhere away from me. Pero mi abuelita tenía una visión. My abuelita had a vision of what my father could become. And Bonanza was a very, very poor mining town. They were not rolling in the dough, right? Mm -hmm. And... So she would send care packages every once in a while to my, my tia and my dad. And in that story, I share the little uh, innovation in, that she had um, created whenever she sent a dress that she had sewn for my, for my tia Sela. She would say, check the seam of the dress and let me know if it's okay. She would write a letter with instructions saying how we're doing and everything. But she would say, check the seam. And that was code for... I stuck a little, a little money in there, like rolls of mm. Cordoba bills, you know, right. because in a large house with primos and primas, yeah. you know, 
she was worried that maybe they were not going to get all the attention yeah. or that there wasn't going to be money to, to spare to go around and get a little something at the pulperia, una Coca-Cola, un dulce, un pan. So she mm-hmm. would hide rolls of wadded money in the seam of her dresses. She was the oldest, so she was older than my dad. And so my tia was taking care of my father with those little, that little money, they would go have right. fun and get just a little something. Yeah. So fast forward that to later in life, my, my grandmother eventually moved to the capital of Managua. And so in our church in Nicaragua, I have memories of this type of shalom. See, mm-hmm. for my abuelita, it wasn't enough for her to have provision through cosiendo, through creating, she started a sewing class at our church in Nicaragua Mm. with one really old sewing machine. She started a sewing class and she used to take me to that sewing class. I was too little to mess with it. I probably would have gotten like the needle in my (laughs) finger. But that sewing class became a very important ministry in our church. So she was teaching other women como coser. Right. So it wasn't enough for her to get herself unstuck. She was there to get the whole system unstuck. Something in my faith that I carry today in the way that I pastor as a female, as a Nicaragüense, as a Latina, it's not enough for me to get myself unstuck. I'm here to get the whole system unstuck because systems are Mm man-made. And so I have these memories and what they are is Shalom. She was teaching these young moms, many single moms, and they would come to learn how to sew so that they could sew clothes for their children and also improve that own their own trade to sell those clothes and mm-hmm. make money for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I have this memory of this old classroom in Nicaragua because our church had a little school, had an elementary school. And there we are with the, with the windows open and it is hot, you know, mm-hmm. tropical and humid and hot. Right. La mujer hablando y platicando. And in that place, it was a place of prayer. They would pray before sewing, the sewing class. Mm-hmm. And I would see my abuelita and my tia like walking over to the other women as they're cutting the pieces of fabric, cutting these pieces of fabric, making something out of nothing, Kat. Yeah. Knowing that mi abuelita was like encouraging them to rise up to not despair, to take trash and turn it into treasure, right? right? And you talk about this in your in your in that chapter as well. To go, we're not going to let despair sink us. There is yeah. hope, okay? Una on one sewing machine, and eventually yeah. they started like selling food to like buy more sewing yeah. machines. So that classroom is right. a vision of Awilita faith. It's a vision of shalom. It's a vision of encouraging mujeres to rise up and not despair mm. in the 80s in Nicaragua post post revolution a war mm. stricken country second poorest country in the western hemisphere levantar a las mujeres from the ground to give mm. them to reconstruct their identity to sew back their worth to know that they could do something maybe they didn't have an education maybe they had not graduated from high school Many of them hadn't, but right. they could still do something, right? Use that ingenuity to like do something. Mm-hmm. Use that innovation to do something. That to me is shalom. And it's so ordinary. Right. Once one sewing machine, yeah. pieces of fabric, needle and thread. So they were sewing things together. But I think my abuelita and her sister, my tia, my tia Clotita was her name. 
um, she, uh, they, they were sewing their worth back together. Mm-hmm. They were reconstructing who they were, their belovedness, right? The world had told right. them that they were nothing. They couldn't do much. And they were going through a lot of trials and turmoil, but they could sew their life back together and take mm-hmm. control of their life, especially when a lot of things were out of control for them right. in their situations. Right. That yeah. to me is shalom. Yeah. doesn't have to be That's some true. heavenly vision of <laughs> supernatural things. It can right. be... The hilo, the needle, the thread, a piece right. of fun. working together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I didn't know that story about the sewing class. I knew the yes. first story of, yes. of your abuela Sara and the, you know, check the, check the hems or whatever, you know, so you can yeah. find some, some little bills to, to, you know, go and enjoy something extra. Mm-hmm. And that's the story that I include in my book, which I, I love that story. Um, so, okay. There's so many follow-up things that I, I want, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about, but I'm going to start from the beginning. So start from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> so the, <laughs> Two things that I, you know, that really stood out to me about that first story um, and that first part of what you shared is this idea of creativity, right? Ingenuity, mm-hmm. and also the notion of providing, right? I think that those are two very um, powerful things that um, besides obviously everything else that you mentioned, which I'll get to it, but I think that yeah. those are two very important things that I, that Abuelita faith or Abuelita theology means to me that I've, you know, witnessed in my own life. And that I see so much in your abuela Sara, um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how she thought outside of the box, how she used her craft and her skill and her hands yeah. and her body to, again, yes, like, you know, I, I say create worlds out of nothing in the book as well. And yes. to sort of create yes. this to create, but then also with that creation to also provide. Um, so yeah. can you talk a little bit more about those two things, right? Providing how, how abuelita theologians, yeah. whether it's in the Bible and in the Bible, you know, I mentioned women who provided, you know, we have Joanna who provided for Jesus's mm-hmm. ministry, literally from her own hand, you know, from her own pocket. We have um, women like Tabitha who created and also provided for the women in her community. We have women like Lydia who threw also, you know, the, her purple cloths that she sold, you know, provided for herself and her family. So can mm-hmm. you talk about that? And then also how woven in that is the notion of creativity and ingenuity. Yeah. So that wovenness of those Cordoba bills in the seam of that dress. So where did that come from? How did she provide is a good question to ask. How did she get that money? We know how she put it in the seam of the dress, but how did she get that money? So yeah, the creativity, the provision of doing something out of nothing in that first story in Bonanza. um, I I don't think that I was able to share the fullness of Bonanza, but Bonanza was a mining town and it was lands that were being exploited by North Americans. Mm -hmm. Gold was being extracted from Mm -hmm. those places. Do you think the benefits of that gold and that those mines were going to the people in the community? No, Mm -mm. that gold was being, gold was being extracted by the United States Right. to be brought back here, right? And so the people in around that place were being exploited. Right. So my teacher, my, my, my abuelita was a teacher in that town. She saw the, uh, the poverty um, around, the peop- around with the people. She saw what was happening with uh, uh, how the gold was being extracted. And um, this is why she got my dad and, and, and aunt out, out of there as well. Mm. How did she provide those dollar and those dollar bills, those Cordoba bills? How did she provide? She would wash clothes mm. for rich people. She would sew herself. She would provide for her 
for her children. Uh, she was uh, ironing clothes. So those same clothes, mm. ironing clothes for other people right. that would pay her. And so always, again, with the ordinary elements of daily life, there the shalom was. There is the provision of God. The, the vision was in the ordinary moments like needle and thread and washing and ironing. And even though it was hard, it, that, that context we have to understand was so hard. It wasn't just the need, but there was exploitation that was happening in Bonanza. Right. And she was the recipient of that. Eventually, my abuelita um, was trying to protest to have the teacher's salaries raised mm -hmm. because the school where she was teaching had been provided, uh, had been built by uh, the North Americans that had come into that town saying, oh, with, with, the, with the benefits of the gold that we're extracting, we're going to create a school for you, for you all. But the teachers were underpaid. It was a grave injustice. And when she started speaking out about that injustice, they kind of kicked her out of the town. Wow. So we have to understand that, that needle and thread that her hands were working was happening in a larger context of injusticia. Right. And, and, and most usually you will find that the hands of women that are creating and providing and weaving and are they're, they're going to be found in a larger context of something is happening that they're going to have to use their hands, right. el puño, whether the fist or the working hands or the praying hands or the, the hands that cook, the cooking hands or the hands that sew. Esas manos, esas mujeres exist in a larger context. Mm -hmm. yeah. And God was using their work and their witness, right. you know, of that weaving together of what our hands can do. Yeah. Okay, maybe we don't have a lot of money, but we got hands and we right. have a mind and we have innovation right. and we have these pieces, pedazos de tela around us. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. Um, that reminds me. So in the same chapter, I talk about mm. the albilleristas from Chile. Yes. Who they also in that same thing, you know, um, they were being exploited by the government. The people were being by a U.S., you know, backed coup that yep. that yep. Um, arose. So it's the same sort of idea. Yes, um, all the interconnected. People, right. The people were being exploited by the United States government and um, people were going missing, right, for speaking out against the government. And the arpilleristas use, exactly as you mentioned, mm -hmm. use their hands um, to create and to stitch um, protests, right? They're to create signs and messages of protest. And they were using it, they were using their hands. And, and this is sort of, a, you know, what I wanted to get to in subversive ways. And I, I see that in your Abuela story as well. I see that in the sewing class that you mentioned, how she used yeah. sewing um, as it, it was a, it was a subversive thing. Um, yes. As you were saying, they were stitching a new future. You know, they were, mm -hmm. um, they were stitching a, a hope for themselves. They were stitching together in community agency, right? They were doing so yeah. much and it was such a subversive thing. And it's so fascinating and so profound that this is huge throughout history. We have the arpilleristas, you know, that are using their hands. And, and in the book, I talk about how women carry medicina in their hands. And I yes. think that this is part of that medicina. It is this subversive um Thing that they do um, through their crafts, through their gifts, through their embodied knowledge, because it's an, it's a knowledge, it's a wisdom that are that their hands hold. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, I would love to know. I love how that was such a huge part of that story because I didn't realize, yeah. you know, in that second part of the story, the sewing class, and also what you just mentioned, but the background to yeah. um, Abuela Sara putting the Cordova bills inside of the, the, the hems, that it was so subversive. 
And so can you talk to me a little bit about this idea of subversiveness? I know that you have already, of course, have mentioned it. Um, but are there any other ways that you see Awalita theology as subversive, whether in your life or in stories that you've heard or in the Bible, right? Because we know that so much of the women, as you mentioned, that are now sent, that we're trying to center, um, that their lives were so subversive, right? Yes. So yeah, if you want to elaborate a little bit on that nurse, that, yes. that uh, I love subversive that. nature. Mm-hmm. That subversive nature, you said one word that that is catalytic, I think, in this part of the conversation, you mentioned agency. So whether my abuelita or las arpilleristas, it's interesting that the, the rhyme of the oppression is always the same. It may mm-hmm. look different throughout the generations, but in its essence and at its core, we start looking in other places of the world and other people's stories and the rhyme sounds the same. The pattern is oh, like, it has a certain rhyme and a certain metric, right? A certain oh, yeah. beat to it. Uh, it may be salsa one day, maybe merengue the next day, but it, sounds, it yeah. sounds the same. And so as we find the rhyme of that oppression and we, f- we find the thread of that oppression, right. there's counter threads, right? Mm-hmm. And so agency is a good beginning, In spite of what was going on around that felt out of control and chaotic, these women found agency. The Canaanite mother found agency. Mm -hmm. Lydia in the book of Acts found agency with what they had in their hands. Yeah. And so to be subversive has to begin with voice and has to begin with agency and has to be, has to begin with disillusionment, maybe even despair and go, lament right so lament can include despair disillusionment depression uh even division and to go oh my gosh this is the world as it is and then to begin dreaming of a world as it should be so you being with lament to be to become liberated lamentation must precede liberation and Mm -hmm. in that turning of your face like the psalmist starts turning from lament to hope to wanting a different future, to wanting to see the face of God, we turn with our voice and with our agency. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, no tengo dinero, but I have a voice or I have a hand. Right. Or I have signs like las arpilleristas. Mm-hmm. And so that subversiveness is, again, so ordinary. But it has to begin uh, in the moment when we say, yo puedo. Mm-hmm. Yo puedo. It's the echo of si se puede. Right. Mm-hmm. Si se puede, Dolores Huerta said. I know that 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 phrase was coined for Cesar Chavez. He used it as well. Pero Dolores Huerta said, "Si se puede," mm-hmm. and we go from "Si se puede" to "Si se pudo." Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. To yes, we did. Right. Yeah. I felt that when I graduated from graduate school from seminary, I felt that anytime I wrote a paper, "Si se pudo," we were able <laughs> to do it. And you you go from I I from despair to to redemption, and it begins with agency to say we don't have. We may not have much, but we have something. My dad would always say to me, tienes una cabeza y tienes dos manos. Mm. Y tienes inteligencia, right? So that drive, that drive that pushes, that can be very subversive in something as small as needle and a thread Mm. to something as big that creates revolutions. Words create revolutions as well. I love the phrase that you said earlier about weaving words, worlds out of words, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it is so ordinary and it has to begin with us saying, I'm going to reclaim the voice that someone once tried to silence or strangle or suffocate and say, no, yo puedo, Mm -hmm. yo puedo. And that drive 
can drive you for a very long time. Con la ayuda de Dios y la comunidad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, recently, my co-pastor, uh, Bobby Harrison, he preached on the garment of Jesus at the cross that was ripped in four. Mm-hmm. And he used this, coin, this, this phrase, he coined it and said, the spirit is the seamstress mm. of all that has been ripped apart. That too yeah. happens in the life of the church and in the life of communities, in the life of cultures and countries. Yeah. I think the spirit is trying to yeah. seam back to, you know, put the seams back together, but it's not going to look like what it was before. Right. He said, it's not going to look like what it was before. Mm-hmm. And in that particular story that Bobby was preaching, I, I'm still thinking about it. Those soldiers did not want to put on the whole robe of Jesus. They only wanted pieces of it. Mm. The gospel is asking us to put on the full garment of liberation, Mm. the full garment of the good news of Jesus. The one that says that you can't have Jesus without justice. Mm. The one that says that some some parts of the garment of the people say, just preach the gospel in this. No social justice, no social justice. Have we not seen the word mishpat in the Old Testament Mm. in Tazak, right? And so I think the spirit especially in the life of the church in the middle of this pandemic, the spirit is sewing back together also. Yeah. The fact that our stories are interconnected and we can't do life without one another. Right. And the spirit is inviting us to put on the full garment of the good news of Jesus in his full liberative form mm. that God cares about both body and soul, not right. just getting souls into heaven, but he cares about what happens to the bodies of those souls. Yeah. My grandmother cared about what was happening to the body of my dad and Thea out in the country. Right. Las Pieristas, they cared about what was happening to the bodies on the streets. Right. So it's not just the souls to heaven, but the souls of the bodies connected to those souls on the streets. Yeah. And that happens in 1000 ways every day. Yeah. I love that. It's a holistic vision. Um, and that makes me think of my next question that I wanted to, to sort of my last one, actually, that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and so in the book, I mentioned that with Cosiendo and creating both the mind and the hands, right? They think it's, it's a mind and body thing, as you mentioned, a soul and body thing. Um, the soul and the mind, the body, it, uh, they think and they design. Uh, it's an embodied experience, right? I think in order for something to be embodied, you need the holistic, as you mentioned, the holistic vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it in- involves a spiritual disciplines, right? Of remaining focused and present and engaged, right? Paying attention. I talk about how Abuela was so intentional with the bodies that she was, you know, when she, as she would fit fabric around my body. You know, she knew every crevice of my body. She knew my measurements. She knew, you know, she knew me, she saw me. Right. Um, And so I think that that involves even another layer of intentionality when it comes to other people, to noticing other people. Um, And then I also talk about how creating with our hands also involves the art of remembering, right? It's a way that we Mm -hmm. tell our stories about ourselves and our communities. And this process invites, you know, our our abuelitas or the artist or whoever is creating um, to take an inward journey. Um, right. And to move the body to the rhythms of the earth, right. And, and to like, as you mentioned, even earlier, the soil that, that created us the past, I mean, it is a fully embodied um, and sacred movement and activity, 
right? Um, it's an act of co-creation, right? It's part of how we, um, and I, I sort of connect this to, again, God, you know, how God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, even after the fall, uh, as we hear in the story, you know, God still pursues them and says, here, here's the, here's some clothes, you know, you are naked and you're ashamed, but here, let me remove that shame. And God even engages in this act of, of creating and, and, and sewing together leaves, which I think is so beautiful. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I talk about how um, it's an it's an act of co-creation of connecting to the divine through the earth's gifts that are given to us. It's an intris- intrinsic form of spiritual knowledge that is carried from generation to generation. So can you talk to us a little bit about that embodied wisdom and what lessons or insights you may have received growing up about embodiment or how creating with our hands or our bodies is a way that we tell stories? Mm, I love everything that you just said, Kat. And what I am reminded that when we create, when we when we are cosiendo, when we are sewing things together, we are a living embodiment of the creator spirit uh, in Genesis 1. Yes. And so I love how uh, Dr. Will Gaffney, I'm reading Woman is Midrash right now, and mm, she okay. uh, translates uh, Genesis 1, a very familiar text that says in the beginning, uh, God you know, created the heavens and the earth, and we know that the spirit was hovering over the chaos of the waters. But Dr. Gaffney translates that as it is in the Hebrew is there's a feminine noun. And she says, but just to hear the disruption of language of a beautiful Hebrew scholar, of course, she says, and she, the spirit hovered over the chaos of the waters. I had to pause and say, hallelujah, when I read that. She, the person of the Trinity, who is a creator spirit, a creative spirit, hovered over the chaos of the waters, hovers today over the chaos of injustice Mm -hmm. and is able to create a new world and says, we're going to separate dark and light, right? They begin in the evening to the next day. And that whole creation narrative, we ought to go back to that garden that lasted for about five minutes before injustice entered into the world and go back to remember Mm. how we were created, how free we were created to begin at the place of liberation, to begin at the place of creation. And so now we need a regenesis of our identities, a regenesis of justice. And if it doesn't include the spirit, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it because it'll be man-made or woman-made. It'll be human-made. And so we need a remembering of that creation narrative. We need it to come alive. We need like the clashing of the volcanoes and the earth Mm -hmm. and the animals and to go back to beginning at the place of liberation to understand how the injustice towards the earth, the injustice between us and each other as human beings of humanity, the injustice that keeps us from God um, and how to be recreated. We need the help of the spirit. And so that spirit is the same spirit that birthed the church and acts over and over again. It says by the spirit and move by the spirit. Jesus acted that way in the gospels. And so did the early church and ask and acts. And without that spirit, we can't recreate a humanity um, like that. It'll be different. But in essence, I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The feminine spirit of the Trinity wants to hover over, hover over this chaos of the world and hover over injustice. And have you ever stopped to think about that Jesus submitted to that creative feminine right. spirit? 
that he was, as a man, was one with that feminine divine, mm-hmm. working in oneness with God, the Father. The beauty of that mystery that it cannot be explained, right. but must be grasped with that creative spirit. I think I forgot the last part of your question. So if you can repeat it again, I would love it. But that's, <laughs> no, that's the help so that we need. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I had asked you, which I mean, you know, you of course um, referenced it. It's the idea of embodiment, right? Like how Jesus, and yes. I see that in Jesus yes, fully embodying this um, yes. fully and how, you know, the, the divine feminine fully embodying, you know, it, yes. I mean, it really is such a, from the garden, uh, you see this thread just throughout history of, of yes. connecting back to that space, yes. that place, right? Yes. That physical, yes. that soil. Um, I like to say that, you know, it, it's in so many, in so many ways, we usually like to begin the story in Genesis three, but it begins in Genesis one, you know, and it's always That's like right. we skip over Genesis one, go straight to Genesis three. And we forget that, you know, God made all things good. And there was a, a, a holistic vision there. And there was a, you know, there was a connection to the land and to people that, um, that, yeah, I think that, that as you mentioned, like, that's where we go back to, that's where the spirit leads us back to Yes, um, that full vision. Yes. You know, we have been, um, or at least my, I'll just use an I statement. Christianity has told me that I was born bad, right? That I was born yeah. sinful that oh, I, yeah. from the beginning, sinful. Right. Pero en el principio, God said that I was good. Right. God said that you were good. God said que la mujer was good. And we have been blamed for so much as women, right? right. But in el principio, God said that I was good and that right. I was an Ezra Connecticut, an equal partner with Adam, right. right? If we go back to those liberating liturgies. So I, I remember something that I wanted to say earlier from the words that you were using. What are the spiritual practices? Uh, mm-hmm. if, if injustice has a rhyme, then justice also has a rhyme. Mm-hmm. Injustice has spiritual practices that yeah. bring forth life. So if we go back to the creation narrative in Genesis, and if it is this huge, amazing garden of creation, what are, what are the farming? Maybe we go back to farming. Maybe we go back to planting. Maybe we go back yeah. to sowing, to watering, to pulling out weeds. Maybe right. we go back to those very normal and ordinary right. aspects of creation to use still the same elements that we have, right. to use what we have to create a transfiguration. Mm-hmm. So, when we say we are being made new, we're still being using like old artifacts of creation. Oh, mm. This body of mine, this soil, mm. this dirt, this water, this, you know, our water has been poisoned by, by humans, but um, maybe we ought to ask our native, native American sisters, how did they farm? You know, how did mm. they were one with the earth and going back to the basics to heal the land, which mm-hmm. includes to heal us because we are sacred yep. lands ourselves and so if there's rhythms to injustice, there have to be rhythms of justice and freedom mm-hmm. and life so and light and liberation. So going back to that creative creation narrative with new eyes and go, okay, let me go back. Nothing is new under the sun. Entonces, let me go back. What are those rhythms of toiling, of lamenting? Mm-hmm. What brings forth life? Uh, Hannah did that in the book of Samuel. Mm-hmm. Year after year, she had a liturgy of lamentation. Mm-hmm. Every year she went before the Lord. That was her liturgy. That was her little, uh, her uh, liberating act. Every year she had her habit, a routine of practice. Right. And that gave birth to liberation. So she mm-hmm. gave birth to Samuel, who was going to be part of the liberation of Israel. So it is with us. And it happens in the most 
mundane of places, like right. weeping every year, like Hannah, like cosiendo. So um, we must look into those very basic things. We must return oh, yeah. back to farming. The farmers are going to help us uh, think. The poets, uh, the yeah. artists, they're going to, with the creative spirit that they have, they're going to help us imagine a regenesis right. of that creation for what it should be now. Porque right. no estamos en Genesis 1. However, there mm -hmm. are some things that carry over, beginning yeah. with just the act of creation. Yeah, that's and that so feminine good. spirit. Yeah. And I think that that's the essence of an Awalita theology is using, as you mentioned, ordinary, everyday lived experiences as our greatest teachers. Um, and yeah, it is, you know, I talk about how Awela was a woman of the dirt. She was a woman of the earth. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, her aguacates and her mangoes and she, you know, that's where we got our afternoon snack from. And and we would go pick them together. And she would talk to me about about Cuba. She would talk to me about the soil that birthed her, you know, and it mm -hmm. was this, this, re this um, reclaiming of who you are. And it's not, and it is, um, it, it does go back to just the basics, the ordinary, yeah. the everyday, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I love how you even mentioned that with the sewing machine, you know, how it was an ordinary yes. object that created um, so much life and so much liberation yeah. in, your, in your abuelita's community. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's it. That's what it's about. You know, it's about, um, it's an embodied theology. It's using our bodies. You know, I have a chapter that I talk about dance and it's, you know, yes. how the movement of our bodies and, and it's, it's so ordinary and it's so, you know, there's so nothing ordinary, right. There's nothing too profound to it, but it is so profound um, yes. because that's where I think God is found yes. um, most uh, vividly right through yes. um, just who we are as people, not heady yes. and not, you know, and, and it can, you know, I'm not against heady stuff, but yes. uh, I don't think that that's the primary space where Aulita theology mm. exists. Yeah. Dr. Justo Gonzalez has a line that says, la historia, siempre la historia. Mm. And that's, that's what it is. To say abuela is to say already that's three generations behind us, right? So right. there's generation to generation. ¿Cuáles son esas historias? To go back and go, well, how did, mi, how did my abuelita get through this or that? And you, you sit down with all the abuelitas just like you have in your book and you go, oh, this is how they got through, right. through dance, through cosiendo, through this and that. Um, yeah. And I need to write my own historias down, which you, having, yeah. you have you know, encouraged me to say, I have to write those things down because someone, yeah. someone needs that historia. You know, in Nicaragua, we have a refrain uh, before and after, cuando la guerra, my aunt used to say, cuando la guerra. Mm -hmm. So there's historias of oppression yeah. there, but then how we got through, how we got through. I even feel, I think that there, that's even a line in, in African-American uh, hymns, how we got through to the other mm -hmm. side. Right. When we do that, we start hearing the, the rhyme of, Justicia and liberation mm. with others, with Native American siblings, with African American siblings, with Asian American siblings, how we got through. Mm. You sit down and ask about la historia, cuéntame la historia, cuéntame papá yeah. de aquella vez, contame. We say that a lot in Nicaragua, contame, contame aquella vez, tell me about that one time. Yeah. Very ordinary, right. very ordinary. Historias, voz, canto, liberación, the dirt, mundane. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you mentioned that there are rhymes or patterns, just how there are rhymes or patterns to injustice. There are rhymes or patterns to justice. Oh, yes. So good. Mm -hmm. And they're I louder mean, than the injustice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, this was so good. Thank you so much for all of the beautiful things that you shared. I knew you'd be the perfect person to dialogue with oh. about this um, <laughs> because I feel like, you know, I, I feel like you've experienced this so deeply. Um, and so thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Well, thank you, Kat, for being also a seamstress. You are like the mm. thread. Uh, the spirit is, is the has holds the needle and you are the thread that's sewing our stories together mm -hmm. and reminding us how interconnected we are mm -hmm. um, more than we would think we are. And so thank you for creating that safe space. Uh, your, your soul is hospitable mm -hmm. uh, uh, to welcome all of us into the story. So thank you for inviting me here. That means so much. Um, is there anything else you want to share about your church or about where folks can find you or find the, the church we hope for or any of that um, before you yes. go? Yes. Thank you for asking that. Thank you for that hospitality. The church we hope for.com is our website and you can find our origin story, how the spirit weaved that story together, that dream and is bringing it about. Uh, you can find out how we hope to be a beloved community uh, that is moved by the spirit, by the Espíritu to live into the life, love, and justice of Jesus. That is at the core of who we are. And you can also find us on Instagram at the church we hope for, where we're a little bit more active, even in the day-to-day -day things of how we're being drawn together and moved by the spirit day by day. So thank you for asking. Perfect. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to The Protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.